Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic gym hybrid model. And over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the U.S. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I'm joined today by Dr. Tom Teeter. Tom, how are you, buddy? Excellent. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Now, for those listening, you might hear Tom cough and sneeze. He's just recovering from a cold, but uh, in classic Tom uh, fashion, he pushed through. He checked his load management scores, and he's okay to perform for this hour, right? I am solid. Yeah, I'm ready to good. go. Well, that's all based on heart rate variability and previous load and newtons that you've calculated, I'm sure. But uh, we can get Absolutely. to that later. Absolutely. Yeah, so Tom, you're a chiropractor out in uh, basically Kansas City, Missouri. You got a, you operate in a kick-butt gym. Um, I basically have it kind of wrapped up there. Yeah, I'm in Kansas City. Um, I am in a gym that's about uh, 12,000 total square feet. We have a pretty unique situation with our space where we have uh, one facility, but it's kind of spread into two different uh, sides. And on one side, we have your standard uh, gym equipment, like your pay-for-membership gym. And on the other side of the gym, we have uh, our more functional training space where we have uh, a jungle gym station, turf, racks, and uh, an aerobics classroom for uh, multiple use classes. So we have a pretty sweet setup here. Nice. It's kind of like performance on one side and the classic uh, weight loss fitness on the other. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing that you have that uh, we kind of haven't talked about yet is uh, you have this little little tiny project called uh, Rehab to Fitness, right? Yes. Yeah, and it's not so tiny. We talked last year about this time, and uh, I basically was talking to you in the delivery room of your new product, right? You had just taken it home from the hospital, just been born, and now it's grown a full year. You've had classes. You've run people through it. You've refined your program. How's that going? It's going well. Um, I think any time you take something new to market, it's a challenge uh, for growth. And I think also, as you know, when you're trying to introduce some, what you and I think are, are uh, standard topics, but when you're trying to introduce the idea of fitness to a group of clinicians in our profession in chiropractic, who really, this may be somewhat of a foreign language, mm-hmm. um, it takes a little time to start to crack through the veneer and kind of get them on board with this is something we really should be doing. Uh, all of our clinicians should be talking about this and performing these things and, yeah. and acting in these ways. So I got a buddy a who... Uh, I got a buddy who sells software and he says in, in software, there's always the rule of threes. Uh, whatever you think you're going to develop takes three times as long and costs three times as much. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, I don't know about the cost side of it, but, but really the three times as long is pretty accurate. Um, yeah. I had no delusion that this is something that was going to take off overnight. Um, mm-hmm. In our first, our first entire 12 months, of, I think we had um, five classes, which is pretty good for a first year class. Um, and then we've now, I think we have upwards of 16 dates scheduled in 2020. So 
um, we, we definitely had some growth and it's still just quite a challenge to get the word out and, and let people know about our class and how it's different and, mm-hmm. um, trying to get other clinicians to, uh, think like someone like you and me. Right. Well, it's a, it's a scary idea for them to think like us, but, uh, they can at least think about rehab and fitness. So basically for those people who have no idea what it is, the class, let, can we go through real quick, like what you cover and what the, the, um, what the goal of the class is? Sure. Um, you know, originally the, the class was uh, uh, twofold. I think I wanted to get clinicians thinking about what do we do after we release someone from care or what should be a standard of care as part of my musculoskeletal practice. Now, there are a lot of people, um, I think, that practice more traditional chiropractic or musculoskeletal care where it's all passive modalities like manipulation, ultrasound, et cetera. And there's nothing wrong with those things. I'm not suggesting that's the case. But as we know, and we look at the research, that there's a large preponderance of people who actually benefit from acquiring load. And what I mean by load is resistance. We need to start to load tissues to make them more resilient to stress. And usually it's an inability to tolerate load that gets them injured in the first place. And so when I started thinking about the class, I wanted to, A, get clinicians thinking about, you know, what is fitness? How does that integrate into my current musculoskeletal practice. And then secondly, to teach them from start to finish what that looks like. So in our class, um, right now we're sitting in about 18 to 20 modules that I've created for the course. Um, we start with everything from what is fitness, how to create a interdisciplinary team of people that are all working in a musculoskeletal paradigm. We teach you how to create a system from start to finish of how you take people either from the treatment table into the gym, or if they're coming in off the street with just a basic performance goal, how to, how to start them and get them um, through the program. And then we just start shipping away at, you know, here's how you go about programming and here's how you go about exercise selection. And here's how you go about, um, choosing progressions and regressions for each individual person. And as we do that and demonstrate, uh, I think we have upwards of 400 exercises included in our exercise library. And as we teach them and demonstrate these exercises, um, we're giving you literally a start to finish plug and play plan to implement this into your clinics. So I think it's a pretty thorough class. Um, I've been impressed with the feedback we've had so far because a lot of, uh, of our uh, class attendees have taken other types of fitness courses and have suggested that this is you know, one of the most comprehensive courses they've had as far as exercise programming and design. That they've, That's awesome. They've taken. Man. Con- so I'm, I'm, congratulations. I appreciate that. Um, it's been a long road, but I think we still got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah. The reason, I mean, I'm, I love it because, you know, here's a couple stories. Like, number one, I remember listening to, um, uh, you know, Greg Rose played a big role as a mentor to me. And he was saying one time, you know, the, the biggest delineator between great Kairos, physical therapists, and, and even strength coaches, he said the biggest delineator between the great ones and the okay ones is the knowledge of the lower level exercises, like how to make things easier basically any dummy can just add more weight or add more reps or add more speed and it'll make things harder. He's like, but really breaking it down to getting that little bit of getting that bridge from where the person is to where they, uh, where you think they need to be. And, you know, I've seen these clinicians that are like, yeah, I treated so-and-so's low back. And then for rehab, I gave them squats. And I'm like, 
God dang, man. I, that to me just sounds like you jumped about 18 steps, you know, like he might've needed it, but I just, my gut tells me that you're, you're missing some steps there. And I love the fact that you're truly bridging that from like, essentially from what do you do on the table to what do they do when they're on the lifting platform? Well, one of the things we talk about in, in class, I mean, you just touched on a ton of things that I think are relevant. Um, I, I think first and foremost is that we are trying to bridge the gap from their current capacity. What can you do right now into their desired competency? What do you want to do? And so if someone, for instance, in that analogy, if someone has low back pain, we're treating them clinically for the pain, for whatever you're doing to accomplish that. And then all of a sudden we throw them into a squat. Well, a squat is a very high threshold, high stimulus load. And I don't know that they're ready to tolerate that. So we have to have incremental steps along the way, or we need to find what's the smallest meaningful change I can make to, to one variable in their program to slowly and, and systematically progress them towards that goal. And so a lot of times in your analogy, people will jump from what is really a, for instance, let's say we're doing a bird dog as an example. Maybe that's a, a low to low moderate threshold stimulus. And all of a sudden they're doing barbell back squats with 315 pounds. And I'm like, hang on a second. You guys missed a lot of steps along the way. And we need to make sure that we're checking off every little box so that we make sure that they don't regress back into pain. So part of the things we talk about in class is we have an entire system of uh, progressions and regressions for every single pattern. And then we can, once we show you how to regress back to the right landing spot for that individual client or patient, then I can show you how to strategically manipulate one of nine variables that will give you the outcome that you're looking for. So I I think when we're talking about load, you you have to have a way, regardless of how you do it, if it's my way or some other way, you have to have a way to make sure you're getting the person in the right landing spot for load acquisition and that you're giving them the smallest, most meaningful change you can to progress them towards their goals. I love it. Now let's, uh, I know you're going to hate this part. We're going to brag a little bit about you. Uh, so you got this class. And then interesting over the last uh, year, I think you've had, from my perspective, um, you've had two areas where you really got to, uh, so let's back up a second. Tom, how long you been in practice? Uh, this will be going almost on uh, next, uh, in the summer will be 16 years. 16 years. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, how long have you really, did, did you come into it as a strength coach or did the strength and fitness knowledge come after chiropractic college? No, I came in backwards. Like I, I have always been a strength coach in some, uh, in some capacity. And I just kind of realized when I was doing the work I was doing that there was still something missing. And so I wanted to go find other information. The best is when, when trainers become chiros or PTs, I always think it's because you realized what your limitation was, it was tissue tolerance or something like that, that you, you know, that you didn't have the license to change. I love that. So, so you came in with a lot of fitness knowledge. Obviously you've, you've gained more over the last few years. You developed this rehab to fitness model and then the program and then the class and you start teaching everybody. And then, uh, you know, you had two kind of, I don't know what you want to say labs to put it into. Uh, I know you had a, an, a great story about working with a local small D what D two university, D three university had what every D three university has. We want to win. We have no money. We have no facilities. Uh, but basically do everything you can to help us. Right. Well, I was, you know, part of, like I said, I've always been a strength coach 
I went to chiropractic school to, I always say the best thing I ever did for my, my coach is a, uh, or my career as a strength coach was become a chiropractor because it allowed me to look at the body and loading differently than if I was just looking from my meathead strength coach lens. <laughs> um, and, and along the way in doing that and having the knowledge that I have from becoming a chiropractor. I, I picture I you green, reading the green books in one hand and dumbbell curl with the other hand, you know? <laughs> While standing on a boat two ball with my eyes closed, absolutely. For sure. Hashtag um, functional, my man. <laughs> functional. Um, I was very fortunate that along the way, I was uh, I started teaching a class at a local university, uh, Park University here in Kansas City, Missouri. And I was an adjunct, and I kind of fell into this situation where they were um, looking to start a fitness and wellness degree program from scratch. So I was tasked with, uh, they gave me a list, a one-sheet, piece of paper that had a list of classes that we kind of thought we might want to teach on it. And I developed an entire four-year curriculum teaching basically fitness and wellness or teaching uh, undergrads how to be strength coaches. And in doing that, I got to start to work with um, some of the sports teams at the university. And, and one of my, you know, one of the best stories that we had was, and I think this goes to show that all the systems that we teach in the class can actually work in real time. Um, I became friends with the soccer coach and he had the, I think it was the 2017 season. Um, they had the highest number of injuries for any team in Park University history. And he's like, look, I'm not sure why people are getting hurt. Um, I really would like your help in trying to figure this out. So we had numerous conversations. And the number one thing we kind of decided early was not just that we need to know how you move, so we should probably screen these guys. But we discovered that the majority of the reason why I felt they were getting injured was because they were doing way too much load. And so what we did the, in the 2018 season, season is the only thing we changed during the soccer season was they used or they, they kind of did a demo, a uh, beta test for us. Uh, I developed and one of my partners developed an app called Ready Athlete, and it's a subjective monitoring app for athletics. And so they demoed and, and beta tested our app for the entire soccer season. And at the end of the season, we were shocked because the prior season in 2017, I believe, and don't quote me on the exact numbers because I've forgotten, but it's, they had somewhere upwards of like 217 visits to the athletic training room for injury. Wow. And the 2018, that's a lot for a, a, a soccer team with uh, 35 guys on it. Um, yeah. And, and in, two, in 2018, they had seven. And if I recall, of those seven, most of them were uh, abrasions, contusions, uh, things like that. They only had one musculoskeletal injury, and a guy got—I had a sprained ankle because he got slide tackled during a game. Yeah, so you, that, we were, you can't do anything you about can't prevent. contusions and all right. that stuff. That's that's uh, Rubbin's racing, you know. Like you got to accept yeah. that. But I think the fact so, so it went it from was, what'd you say, two hundred and sixty down to seven. It was like 217 ish okay. visits. Uh, to down to seven is what we were able to count. Wow. That's incredible. And, and look, it is incredible. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. The, the, one of the challenges that we had, to be honest, was, as you know, in a lot of NAIA schools, uh, record keeping is not always the best because you have one or two athletic trainers who are dealing with 350 athletes. So they're, oh, yeah. some of their injury statistics aren't always the tightest, but the best that we could calculate based on the information we had was that we went from around 217 to seven. That's substantial. And the only thing we did different- Let's say that it was only was, half that, that it was only 
a hundred and and eight down to seven. Either way, you won. Like, <laughs> of course, yeah, it's, it's a know? win-win. Yeah, um, we didn't and expect the. To... I just want to say for those for those young doctors listening, uh, one of the a common misconception I think that occurs is people say like, oh, this this little university nearby want some help and there's, they don't have any money and I, I need to get paid for my time. The, one of the best things you can do is launch a program at a small university because your resume afterwards will read blah, blah, blah at this university, at Park University. Now, on your resume, the size of the university does not matter. It could be Park University. It could be Parker University. It could be, uh, you know, it could be uh, Texas A&M. Any university work looks really good on the resume to get future university or professional sports team work. The great news, as you're hearing with Tom, like basically the reason that this worked is because you knew the soccer coach. And one of the wonderful things at smaller universities is how fast they can move. You want to go into Texas A&M and talk about like implementing load management with all their athletes and running the FMS beforehand. You're looking at probably two years of, of working with legal and the, athletic director long before you actually test a single athlete, right? Of course. Yeah. And, and you were able to do it within like a five minute conversation over Chick-fil-A or something. It's 100% right. We were, I was able to, look, the, the grand thing for us was the amazing thing was the coach knew he needed help. The, over, the athletic training staff was overstretched because that's just what happens in an NAI school. And so he got to bring in someone like me and use my, and kind of lean on my expertise. And, you know, when he said, what's, what's the one thing um, you would change it before anything else? I was like, look, you guys are just doing too much stuff. They had two thirds of their injuries in the preseason in the first four weeks of the, uh, from August 1st to September 1st, when they started their league play. And what we figured out was <clears throat> the guys were coming in from the summer out of shape. They hadn't been working out over the summer. The coach felt the need to get them in shape. And so they were doing two practices a day for two and a half hours at a time. And most of that consisted of running. And so when I showed him the research on injury timing for preseason in soccer, I was like, look, here's what we need to do. You're only going to have one practice a day. We're going to cut that other practice out. And all of your uh, uh, conditioning is just going to be short-sighted games. And so we started off the first two weeks of the season just playing 10 by 10 yard skill scrimmage games. And then the second two weeks, we went from 10 by 10 to 25 by 25. And so by the time they got up to the point when the season started, they hadn't accumulated those massive amounts of, of training load. And the guys were fresh and starting to get fit and able to perform at a high level. So we, we just started applying some logic to load management and we had massive results. And the thing, the thing that's great is, I'm going to talk about it, this in the rehab to fitness class, is you don't have to use my app or you don't even have to use technology. I, I teach you in the class exactly the, the formulas we use to calculate load. And we just happened to, I just happened to be lucky that I had a patient who was an uh, app developer and he, he coded it into an app for me. But when we do, when we do it in class, I'll show you exactly the, the formulaic equation that we use. And then you can take this information and go to other high schools or universities and, and help them um, kind of master load management. So it, it, we were very fortunate. Yeah. Uh, very proud of what, what, what we did. And I think it, it expresses itself in the class, uh, you know, pretty successfully. Hey, I want to tell you all about Membrant. Membrant 
with a D in there like Rembrandt. Membrane is an app platform. Now this company is the one who built the Clinic Gym Hybrid app. And if you uh, purchase our accelerator program, you will get firsthand knowledge of what they do. But I think this is the next evolution in clinics who want to really give their patients better care, better service while making it more convenient. So what Membrane can do is help you design a custom app for your company. This isn't just like rebranding somebody else's. This is your app that lives on the app store and your patients can download. Now, what's the power of an app? Well, let's just say, for example, that you have a certain protocol that you want your low back pain patients to go for. So let's say you include the McGill Big Three, a little talk about repetitive motions and finding your kind of McKenzie protocol of reducing your, your pain through those repetitive asymptomatic movements. Well, you could tag the patients, meaning that you kind of put them on a list that says you want them to have access to the low back protocols, right? And then you could have another program of videos, articles, exercise descriptions, all that, that only go out to your patients with shoulder pain, right? Or ones that go out to patients with plantar fasciitis. If you can build that program, then what Membrane can help you do is make sure that only the patients that really need the plantar fasciitis exercises get that delivered to their phone. That thing that they're staring at, some estimates say as many as 500 times a day, all right? So check out membrant.com, membrant.com, or send me an email, I can hook you up with those guys and they can put together a fantastic program. I think it's really the future and it's one more way that technology will help you make more money while providing better care and a better business model. So check out membrant.com. I'd read in a book one time by a guy named Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel was um, uh, one of the guys that founded PayPal back in the day. Um, and he said in this book called Zero to One, he talks about thinking inside the box. And, and he said that like the, the parameters you have to operate in are what determine how successful you be. And if you can come up with a solution in a box, don't think outside the box. Like, uh, and the reason this matters here is working at a D3 university gets to show you how good you freaking are because you have no money for any new equipment, no money for, you know, $50,000 Sparta kits or whatever, like to just test people and all this. You had to do this with just what you could do with the soccer team uh, and a few spreadsheets and what change could you make in one year's time, right? You had to stay within those parameters. There was no chance at like, well, let's install a few different uh, water treadmills and some, uh, you know, uh, what are those zero G treadmills to, to take the load off their legs as they run more. Like those weren't an option. You just had to use your brain. And I think this comes back to fitness. Like I remember talking to Jason Glass one time and he said like, you know, here's how you can check if a fitness, uh, if somebody understands fitness is like go into a convention space and be like, you have 40 people in this room you know, construct a workout for them. And if they're like, well, I need some kettlebells or I need this and sandbags or I need, it's like, no, no, you got nothing. What can you do? And then, you know, they should be able to put together a workout that's going to get everybody smoked in, in an hour's time. If they can do that, you know, like, or they can be like, all right, I'll give you 12 folding chairs. What can you do now? You know, like little things like that, they should still be able to do it rather than these people that can only operate when they have the perfect equipment or they're always buying new equipment because they need to, achieve some exercise goal. And I'm like, dude, you don't understand the concept here, you know? So it's, it's awesome to test yourself by doing this at a small university. And I'm just saying that for the people out there listening that might be next to, you know, university of North central Pennsylvania annex, like go build those relationships. You'll never know what may come of them. 
Well, I, I agree with one of the things you said is like, I always teach to my students anyway, it's like everyone in our profession wants to look at the new trendy technology or the new trendy piece of equipment and, and always think outside the box. And I was like, look, if you talk to people like me, my box is really small. Like I have some very core concepts that I stick with and I just try to master the basics and, and execute those things flawlessly. And I think that's what we did. You know, a lot of the, the concepts that we were espousing to are things that people that you and I respect have, have taught us. And we're just taking that information and applying it in the environments where they don't have the resources to have these larger pieces of equipment. And that's one of the reasons, frankly, why we developed the, our app was we were finding that if you go to a large university, for instance, we're close to MU or KU, University of Missouri, University of Kansas, you know, they have huge athletic department budgets where they can have things like an Omega wave yeah. that cost $100,000 to use with the football team. So then you go, what do you do for the, the, the NAI schools whose athletes have all the exact same needs, but have one one hundredth of the budget? Like you have to have resources for those people too. And so we just went in and, and, and again, one of the things we teach in our classes, we follow a very simple system. You want to screen people, protect them from movements or activities that might be painful, uh, correct dysfunction, develop fitness, acquire skill, manage load, and then make sure that people don't get hurt. Like it's a very simple system if you do it uh, effectively. So you don't need a ton of fancy equipment. And the same thing goes for fitness. You know, I, I think I've told you the story. I, I, started my very first adult fitness class with four people in a room or space that was probably about 150 square feet. And we rocked out those workouts for about four years. And those same people are not training with me in this much larger space, but I've had 10 to 12 years of longitudinal loading with these people. And some of them are now in their sixties that are fitter than when they were in their fifties and forties with very little equipment that we had access to. So I know, mm-hmm. One of the things I've heard on some of your other podcasts, and I think this is one of the pieces of pushback we probably get when we start introducing this model is I don't have a lot of space and I don't have a lot of equipment. You don't need it. You just need to know how to program and, and, and make sure that people are in the right progression. And then you strategically manipulate the variables. We, you know, I think the amount of equipment I started with was probably less than $300. So it absolutely. I worked out a, a high school golf team. We had, maybe 800 square feet, it's 12 guys on the team. And when we do sprints and stuff, it was in the parking lot. Like I didn't have anything like, and it was like mini bands. Uh, all, the only thing I remember is mini bands, sliders and foam rollers. That's it. And it, yeah. you know, one of those dudes went on to play on the web.com and uh, PJ tour, like, give me a break. Like he did great. You know, it's it, yeah. That when people are focused on the space, it's like, dude, you're, you're focused on the wrong piece here. Like you, can, the wrong stuff, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to beat these guys up about this, but like, don't don't ever let that stuff restrict you. And if you're a young Cairo, like you just graduated or something, find a little university around you and see what you can do. Or, or you know, like you'll be amazed at how welcoming they are. And that's a great thing about sports, as I've said, and you know, you've heard me say this in classes. Like, uh, it's a great equalizer. Like when you're good and you help a team, nobody gives a shit about your license. Nobody cares if it's PT, DC, MD. They just care they're winning, their guys are healthy, and wherever they go, you're going to go too. You have an all-access pass, you know? Uh, I think people get intimidated by that sometimes. Go ahead. I would also just make – I know I 100% agree. I, I, I will also maybe interject and suggest that you just have to be overly careful about how you present 
information to different people. Um, you know, there was at some point a little bit of pushback from the athletic training staff at, at the university because they felt like we, we were making them look bad uh, because, you know, they had had all these injury rates and hadn't necessarily done anything about it. And we came in and did what we did. And, and you know, again, you know, when you're getting into these multidisciplinary environments, you, you have with our DC license. And, and if you take additional courses like screening in the FMS and the SFMA, TPI, and all these things that we're learning, you have so much of a skill set that either athletic trainers don't have yet, or they just don't have the time to do. But it's all about how you go and present that information. And you want to try to create allies, not enemies. Um, and so I, I would yeah, I mean, highly agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> I think, uh, by the way, Tom, if there is a young car out there listening, would you mind if they reach out to you if they're going to be launching a program like this? No, absolutely not. I, I would encourage them to. Yeah. Uh, we'll definitely include your contact information in the show notes, but if you can just, what's the best way to get a hold of you? We're not ending this here. I just want to throw it out right now in case anyone needs it. I would just, uh, usually social media. Um, we're Engineering Athletes on Facebook, or that's my private business is Engineering Athletes. Yeah. You can reach me at Rehab the Fitness. Uh, on Facebook. And I'm also uh, both of those same things on Instagram and Twitter. So, um, yeah. I want to move on to lab number two here. So you had this park university thing that went well with the soccer team. Everything went well. I know you also had to kind of, I don't know what you want to say. Have a little courage to go in a totally new sport because I may have had a hand in, in pushing you that way. (laughs) Uh, But in this last year, you really started working with some, uh, competitive golfers and golf pros, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, up to that point, how much understanding of the game of golf did you have? Zero. Okay. So we're, and then, uh, and then you, you had knowledge on how to get golfers better, but how was that experience the first time you started working with them? Because obviously you had the skills, but there is that. And, and I'm asking this for those young, again, those young cars out there, maybe going into a new market or something. Um, you certainly had the skills to fix people, but the uh, language is a little different. The approach is a little different. The assumptions are a little different. Yeah. Can you talk about some of those things? Yeah, of course. You know, I, I have been fortunate in my career to work with athletes from uh, uh, almost every sport that you could imagine, really, except I hadn't seen a lot of golfers. And I knew from my other experience and the things that I had done that one of the first things you can do to kind of broach that conversation is just do a very basic movement screen and find where people have painless dysfunctions and correct those things. I didn't have a tool or a language to understand how to relate that to golf until I, uh, you know, I talked to you and uh, you were doing a sports elective here in Kansas city. This has probably been about a year now. Um, and you encouraged me to go take the, the TPI class. So I, you know, again, knowing nothing about golf showed up and was really blown away at the the depth of the material that they had for screening golfers. Now I've even said even recently, like having taken the SFMA multiple times, everything when we're working with clients and patients kind of goes back to that anyway, but adding that extra layer of, of understanding the language of golf and understanding some of the specific terminology allowed me to communicate the things that I already knew better to the people who were in the sport. And it also opened up 
an ability to work with professional uh, coaches in that sport. I was very fortunate to meet uh, Coach Maureen Olson, who you introduced me to when we were at the TPI class. And we started doing some work together because she had clients that needed care. And I'm here in town. And I mean, I've been, honestly, I've been shocked at the results that we've had up to date. Um, As an example, I just got a text message from her before um, you called me in and we had a guy that we were working on who had to stop playing golf because he was having massive low back pain, a younger guy in his late thirties. And after two weeks of conservative care, he's now back in a golf lesson today and he had added 35 yards to his drive just from us getting his body moving more efficiently. So when, you know, when you're a young uh, clinician getting out of school and you don't think when a coach sends you a text message saying, Hey, I'm totally shocked that this guy couldn't play golf two or three weeks ago. And now he just drove the ball 35 yards further, that that doesn't have some psychological impact on their ability to want to give you business. You're crazy. Um, so it's really just opened up this world of, of things with golf, even to the point to where we are lucky. Now we realized that there was a huge need for, um, from a performance perspective for golfers to get into fitness related classes. So we started uh, over December months, uh, the December month, we started a golf fitness class at a local space here. And we were able to generate about $6,500 worth of revenue in just one month from getting clients signed up for, for golf fitness services. So we've really opened up this world of what performance can look like for golf. And that's just following the models of things like TPI and people like Greg Rose. But to your point, like I have no formal experience in golf. I don't even play. I'm not going to say as far as I don't like the game, I'm totally fascinated by it. I'm just not good at it. But now having a ability to have a language to talk to those people has been game changing for my ability to see those people's clients. Yeah. Well, you kind of funny enough, the, <laughs> you, you were working as far on the other side of the spectrum uh, in sports, because you were working with a few semi-pro and pro MMA fighters, right? Yeah. I mean, at that (laughs) point in time, the majority of my pro athletes were all um, UFC MMA people. That's awesome. Um, So it's on the exact opposite of golf. Golf, you need some mass and patience, and you do obviously strength and power. But MMA is people beating people up. And yeah. <laughs> I love it, but that was my experience. And I think what's, what I would impress to some of your listeners, and obviously a lot of them probably know some of this, but is having that education from TPI and language and uh, terminology allowed me to take the things that I already knew how to do well and communicate that with players and coaches. And we've had astronomical results. I'm pretty happy about that. That's awesome, dude. So let's, uh, I want to dive in a little bit. Going into a new market, what was one thing you, one assumption you heard from, you know, coaches or or players or something that just made your jaw almost drop? Oh, man. Um, I, I think my, the one thing I thought personally was that golfers had no interest in fitness. And I think what I quickly found out was that I don't, it wasn't that they didn't have interest. It's that everything that they had been told about fitness as it relates to golf had typically been wrong. And so <laughs> we just had to, we just had to go back and reeducate well, them. Like, Tom, you and I both know important. muscle, you know, getting strong makes you tight and uh, you can't be uh, flexible if you're too strong. Like, 
Well, it, it can't, that oh, can happen if you had a poor training program, but in yeah. a well-designed, thoughtful training yeah. program, you, your coach would make sure that you have all the elements necessary to make yeah. sure that doesn't happen. I mean, Tiger Woods, uh, he's no slouch in the muscle department and he's no slouch in the flexibility department. You know, like it's a perfect example. Adam Scott, same way, like Dustin Johnson, same way. These guys are amazing. What's, uh, yeah. now going in MMA, working in MMA and UFC, I'm sure it's like you're taking a glass that's 93% full of fitness and just trying to polish it up. But in golf, a lot of times you're taking a glass that's, you know, 4% full of fitness. And that's just because they, you know, walked from the clubhouse to their car. Uh, right. What are some of the big changes you see right away or some, some, you know, they say small hinges swing big doors. Like what have been some of your big successes from relatively small uh, interventions? Uh, the, the two things right off the bat that I, I think have made the biggest change for what we've done is focusing a lot of our efforts on hips and thoracic spine. Uh, I would say almost a hundred percent of the people that I've had come from coach Maureen um, that I've screened or that I've worked with have lacked hip internal and external rotation or both and thoracic spine motion. So just the first thing we do when we do our fitness classes, we do a, a very, uh, we do a warm up, And as part of the warm up, we, we hammer thoracic spine and hips. And I think that's made a massive difference in the, their ability to move into those ranges of motion. And now that they're able to move more efficiently into those ranges, not only is that we're noticing that, and this is all verifiable by, by video, is that their skill acquisition during their golf lessons is occurring faster, but they're actually having more force production without us ever even have loaded those tissues yet. So uh, hammering mobility in thoracic spine and hips has been you know, a uh, game changer for us. Awesome. And so obviously, I mean, to, to get the hips moving, uh, you're doing super aggressive, you know, heavy single leg, single arm dumbbell snatches. Uh, no, no, at least that's not what we're doing. Um, honestly, it, I, going back to what you were saying about equipment, at the space that we're using right now, I'll tell you exactly the equipment that we have. Cause I'm going to go over and teach tonight. We have some bands, we have some dumbbells, we have some mini bands, we have some stability balls, some discs, and a couple medicine balls. That's and it. A couple TRXs? Oh, sorry, we do have some. We have, do have a couple TRXs. That's yeah. right. Um, I mean, everything but, you but just said could really fit it. in a duffel bag and be $500 total, right? Or less, yeah. So you, you don't need a ton of equipment. What you need is a well structured program and a system that you can strategically manipulate the progressions of regressions for each individual person. And then to tie this back into our broader conversation, that's one of the reasons why I started teaching the rehab to fitness class is because I wanted to put all of this in a nice little package so that other people that wanted to do stuff like us had a very simple operating system that they could work from. And so we, in our, in our adult fitness class, it's an hour. We do a thorough warm up. We do some power work. We do some strength work. And at the end, I always pick one specific, um, let's call it developmental position. And we work on some muscle activation stuff relevant to breathing and golf. Uh, that's it. It's simple. But even, you know, the, the, the five weeks we had our first round of classes, we were able to see some of these older adults who really had some mobility deficits. And they still do. But they were able to cut some of those in half just by getting them to move in certain ranges of motion that they hadn't done before. Yeah. Um, so it's all about, it's not about equipment. It's about programming. It's having the knowledge, 
and the understanding to know exactly when and where to intervene. And like you said before, and what you say on your podcast all the time, it's like maximize your, I just read you say it yes uh, on, a, on a, a Facebook post, maximize your license. Like we know a lot of this stuff already. I think a lot of young clinicians just don't have a system to put it all into to make it workable. And that's hopefully what we're teaching them in the rehab and fitness course. Yeah. Two questions along that line. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I think so many people just with our license kind of play scared and there's no need to. Um, if you were a young, if you were coming out of chiropractic college right now, you know, in the next year, uh, what would you do different based upon all the knowledge that you have and all the, you know, you got some calluses from uh, getting hit a couple times, I'm sure. Um, not, you know, the, nobody survives 15 years of practice without some, uh, some bad stuff, but that, yeah. that's totally a sh- uh, and, and then you see also what the market looks like and, you know, going into golf or going into MMA, like all these different sports that when you graduated, MMA wasn't a big deal and golfers weren't working out. So the world has changed, you know? A ton. I think the one thing I would honestly tell, if, it, if I had to do it all over again, is I think I would change my focus. And, and here's what I mean. I think what we are taught in our model of care as chiropractors is very reactionary. Like, hey, sit in your office and do your marketing and your, your uh, uh, you know, sporting events, go to races and, and find people when they're hurt. And I'm saying that's, that's BS. In my mind, I'm having the best look now and going after athletes to be like, look, what do you want to do? Like, I want to hit the golf ball further. And I go, well, what's limiting you? What do you feel like is your limiting factor to hitting the golf ball further? And he's like, man, I just feel really tight. I was like, okay, well, maybe I should, maybe we can screen your movement and see if there's something that's limiting you from doing this thing that you want to do. And I just start attacking it that way. Usually it doesn't start with pain, but I think you have to have a, a, uh, shift in your mindset instead of being reactionary and waiting till people get hurt. Let's go out and find ways to make sure they never get hurt in the first place. And when I've started adding that thought process to my mentality of the way I approached my, my clients and my athletes, really uh, things have started to, to change and expand for me in ways that I never thought that was possible. So I know not that I won't treat people when they're in pain. Of course I will, but that's not my focus. Like I want to find ways and methods and systems and processes that we can catch people before things are a problem correct whatever the issue is and then start loading them in a way that has meaningful change over time so that 10 years from now um, they're not ending up on your table again. Uh, I I think that would be my biggest thing is just a shift in mindset. That's awesome, dude. I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly because I think from a business perspective too, like if you want to, you know, five years in, you want to be making some decent money. You want to see your income go up every year. Um, If you're just playing the reaction game, it's just that constant hustle. Like you're saying, I need more new patients because your job is to get them better and get them done of being impatient, you know, whereas the performance side never ends. They can always get better. You know, I love it. Well, and, and I think you said this uh, and again, I follow. If it was really page, good, uh, I said it. If it sucked, it probably, I actually believe you said this or you've said it in a couple different ways, but like, I mean, use myself as an example, you know, part of one of my wife's complaints about the way that I practice and people like us that practice this way is we're going to find a problem. We're going to correct dysfunction, get you back to baseline. And then like, I don't want, I don't want you coming back every week to my office. 
if you have to come back to my office every week ad nauseum, I suck. And I either didn't find the problem or didn't come up with a reasonable solution. And so one of the things that's a challenge for people who practice this way is you're constantly having to find new patients. Now, sometimes it's not hard because of word of mouth and referrals, et cetera. But at the same time, like I've had people even recently that I saw for the first time in like five, six years. So you're constantly having to find new patients, but you know where you don't have to find new patients when you get these people out of pain. You're like, you know, the number one thing I think we could do to make sure this doesn't happen again is start to strategically introduce load to these movement patterns so that over time you're accumulating resistance and tolerance to stress and you're performing at golf or whatever your activity is in a, in a much more efficient manner. And when you start plugging these people into fitness programs, you don't need to find new patients because they're, they're captured in your program forever. Uh, again, I tell the story of one of my clients named Aaron. Uh, I started working with him right out, maybe my first couple years uh, out of school and uh, he had low back pain and he also had cancer. And I started training him uh, and it took us about a year to where we got him to where he was training for an hour, three times a week. And I've been training him for the last 13 years and he's sent more and more people to my class and my program. So I just have a captured audience. So you want to talk about a practice builder, adding fitness as, as part of what you're doing is a way where you don't have to worry about income coming from other sources. You're just providing a, a astronomical service that these people need anyway. And you're just doing it under your brand and your expertise. Yeah, that's, Oh, that's, that's how it'll be in the, you know, that's, that's how it should be in the future is that kind of, I mean, you see almost every other business move into a membership model and, uh, and there's reason for it. And, you know, from a business perspective, it allows you to provide great service while also getting paid. And uh, it's tough early on. We all want to get paid. Yeah. You, you don't want to be Netflix on its first year because they were spending money like crazy and not making any, but I'd be, you know, I think Netflix is doing okay these days. I think they're doing all right. Yeah. And, and like, like you said, you know, you know, we, another example, like we, we can talk about one of my students and one of your, uh, one of yours and Nolan Clawson, you know, they, Nolan, t- was one of my, Nolan was in my very first rehab and fitness class in October of, of, oh man, was it 17 or 18, whatever it was. Um, and he's now opening up his own space in Omaha a 900 square foot gym. And now he has all the systems in place, not only a business and a marketing system that you gave him, which is fantastic, but now he has the rehab, the fitness system of operations for fitness and it's plug and play. And he took mm-hmm. all that information and now he's going to be able to do it in his own community and actually have a model that's workable for people to continue to get better. It's fantastic. And I, I think this is the way that we're going to go. And I hope in my own little way that by teaching my class, I can at least help, add some systems to a conversation that'll help people be successful in the future. I love it, dude. I love it. Well, uh, Tom, if people want to sign up for your, uh, rehab to fitness course, where can they go? Well, um, right now we've got some upcoming classes and you can go to, uh, Southeast sports seminars. Um, they're the hosting company for my class and my partner in the class. Uh, we've got a couple of really cool things that we're working on. We have a, uh, a biomechanical concepts of exercise class that we're going to launch here in about a month where it's a three hour course. So if people want some, some more information about the, the biomechanical theories of exercise. Okay. And that, that's the same website, Southwest. 
Yep, um, it'll be on Southwest Sports Seminar. So we're, we're kind of using that as an entry. Uh, if you just want to get a taste of what we're doing, this is a really good class. And even if you don't follow through with the rehab to fitness class, everyone needs to know about some biomechanical things related to exercise. We're also getting ready to launch um, a video library of all 400 exercises that we go over in the class. And all, it's a basically every progression and regression that we would use uh, in our baseline system of working with clients. So that way, when I teach you the programming template in class and we go over all the exercises, you have a video library that you can use for review, but also you can send exercises to patients. Um, and we're going to launch that in about a month. And then we're also um, working on, you know, one of the things that we're seeing, and I'm sure you are too, is in a shift in education where a lot more classes are going to be placed online. Uh And so we're working on an option where we're going to have an online rehab to fitness class. So that for some reason, if you can't make uh, in-person class, which is always favorable, but if you can't make that, we have an option where people can take it at their own pace, get all the same 20 hours of the modules that we have um, and make it more uh, efficient and affordable for most people. So we've kind of got some really cool things we're working on to try to get the message out. Uh, but the easiest way to get a hold of us is either through Southeast Sports Seminars, and you can see all of our class dates for 2020, or uh, on social media. We have the fitness on uh, Facebook and Instagram. And um, if you have any questions, like I said, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to have a conversation about it. I love it, dude. Well, I'm so excited for all the, all the growth that you've seen over this year. Uh, and I'm glad the... Um, it's kind of funny how things work out going into a new sport like golf, I'm sure was a test for your existing systems. Right. But they held up fine, which shows you that they work in any sport. Right. So people can go into competitive, uh, female equestrian and if that's who they train, then which wouldn't, by the way, I would totally go into that sport. Cause you know, those parents have money. They're willing to part with like, you don't put a girl on a horse well, if you're dead broke. Sure. Well, I'll also say just one thing is, I also maybe a piece of advice would be listen to people uh, when they give you specific advice about uh, certain activities or sports. I I have to say thank you to yourself. Um, I told you early on, like, dude, I have no interest in golf. And you're like, you're an idiot because golfers are always hurt and they have money and you should really think about considering expanding your portfolio of people you work with. And if I was, uh, not have taken your advice, I definitely wouldn't be doing the things I'm doing right now and and continuing to expand my knowledge base. So just, I I I didn't say publicly, thank you for you for help pushing me in that direction, but just listen to people because people who've been there, you know, sometimes they have some uh, indispensable advice that can help maybe give you a nudge in a certain direction that you may have no idea where that's going to take you. Awesome, dude. Well, I'm sure everybody uh, listening can, can help me uh, ensure that I get my 10% of all your earnings uh, from this. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, uh, Tom, I appreciate the time today. Uh, Everyone listening. I think he shared a ton of nuggets. I I hope you picked them up and wrote down some notes, Uh, whether you want to work with a a small uh, team, uh, whether you want to talk about load management or learn the ropes of going from rehab to fitness, appropriately named class, uh, you know, Go back and listen because Tom revealed a bunch of of pearls here. So on behalf of Dr. Tom Teeter out there in Kansas City, Missouri, I am Dr. Josh Satterley saying go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks a lot, Tom. All right. Thanks a lot. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information, just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. That's clinicgymhybrid.com. 
and check us out there.